Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson. Happy Friday to you all out there. It is 7.02 on this Friday morning. July the 30th, I am Jeff Dean here with you on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. And, uh, yeah, just a few things going on in the world of sports. <laughs> Some few things happened over the last 22 hours that might be newsworthy, might be worthy of talking about today. As uh, normally, I, you know, I do my prep work here. I get up a few hours before the show begins, start doing some prep work, kind of lining out the show, making sure that it, flows properly and then uh, you know ultimately it just end up kind of throwing that script out the uh, out the window not a script per se but more of like a guideline an outline if you will just end up throwing that thing out the window and just kind of shooting from the hip and just kind of speaking on you know whatever is kind of just interesting at the moment certainly plenty of news out there and a lot of things going on we won't touch much on the olympics today there was some news that recently occurred, but it, I think a lot of people are wanting. This is one of the more important, I think, sports, specifically team sports, that are uh, that are in the Olympics this year. So I'm not going to discuss it, and um, I'll let you guys figure that out on your own. And if you're trying to avoid spoiler alerts, you can definitely do that here. I will not be talking about uh, any of the results that have occurred overnight or within the last hour or so in Tokyo. Instead, we have plenty of stuff going here on U.S. soil that is going to fill up more than we could possibly imagine for the next two hours. So let's get into it because there is a lot of meat on the bone here, whether it is in regards to Major League Baseball trade deadline. We discussed yesterday the prospects of Max Scherzer ending up somewhere on the West Coast. That has happened. And as a lifelong Giants fan and a Dodger hater, because that's just the way it goes, it's one of the great rivalries in all of sports. Max Scherzer, a friend of mine, uh, who I consider a friend, is now dead to me as he has signed, essentially signed off on a trade that will send him to Los Angeles in a blockbuster deal for the Dodgers. And I don't know how... Andrew Friedman, the the general manager of the Dodgers, was able to pull this one off. But the Nationals just being fleeced, in my opinion, in uh, in this particular case. And I know Dodger fans are going to play it off. Like, oh, we have to pay his salary and $11 million and all this other stuff. We only get him for one year. Dude, <laughs> you're probably going to win another world championship based on what occurred yesterday. Because now when you look at what the Dodgers are going to bring to the postseason – they may not win the National League West. There, there is still quite a hill to climb, and the Giants are in good control of the West right now with not a whole lot of games remaining between the two head-to-head. It's, it's going to be a difficult task for the Dodgers to overtake the Giants in the West. And it's not an insurmountable lead by any stretch of the imagination, but the Giants have just been playing absolutely solid baseball all year long. Um, so... It's going to be difficult, but when you talk about the Dodgers getting into that one-game wild-card playoff, they're going to be able to go into that game with if Dave Roberts is able to figure out the math and get out of his own way. 
um, he'll be able to play that game with Max Scherzer as his starting pitcher for the chance to move on into the playoffs. And when you're talking about National League starters, I don't know if there's anyone you'd rather have at this point in time other than maybe like a Jacob deGrom, but is he available? I mean, Max Scherzer is obviously healthy and good to go. I don't know if there's anybody that you'd rather have on the bump uh, than Max Scherzer in a game in that situation. Likewise, in possibly a Game 7 of a World Series, there is probably no one you would rather have than a Max Scherzer taking the mound for your team. Now, when you look at the Dodgers' rotation, it starts with Max Scherzer. He's number one. Obviously, a first ballot Hall of Famer, probably a unanimous, although baseball writers are sticky on those uh, first ballot Hall of Fame uh, inductions. So there will be some of them that say, well, he's not worthy of a first ballot. That's meant for Cy Young only, you know, kind of thing, whatever. Um, But he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. One of the best pitchers we've seen in the last 40 years. So you have Max Scherzer as your number one. Walker Bueller as your number two, Clayton Kershaw as your number three, and then uh, once you get into postseason, it doesn't matter who your four and five are. The, those guys may pitch uh, some innings here and there, but it's all about your one, two, three once you get into the postseason. Now, granted, they still have to deal with their bullpen, which has been a shambles all season long, and the lineup has been hit or miss, to be honest with you, but they went ahead and shored that up as well in the same trade as they were able to also land one of the game's best shortstops, Trey Turner, who will play second base for the uh, uh, for the Dodgers. As uh, of course, you know, Dellinger has been struggling all year. He just got his first hit all season against San Francisco. He was like 0 for 33, I think, against San Francisco this year. He's hitting, I think, 162 on the season. So a horrible, horrible year at the plate for uh, Cody Bellinger, and then the huge error, of course, that lost them the game against the Giants the other night when he threw the ball, I don't know, about 10 feet over the third baseman's head uh, in a in a you know defensive play. So they get Trey Turner, who's hitting uh, 322. He's got a lot of speed on the base paths. He can hit for power. And if Mookie Betts, if and when Mookie Betts gets back, that one-two punch at the top of the lineup is going to scare the bejesus out of most uh, out of most rotations in uh, in the playoffs come playoff time. So, look, the Dodgers are set, man. They they went out and they made a big big deal. And uh, you know, I mean, it's it wasn't without loss, of course. They had to give up a lot to to bring in Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. They gave up their number 1 prospect, which uh, is a guy by the name of Josiah Gray. He's a right-handed pitcher. They also gave up their best fielding prospect, a really good catcher by the name of Kiebert Ruiz, um, who they had to, to give up on as well to the to the Nationals. Also sending uh, Gerardo Correo and outfielder Donovan Casey to the Nationals in exchange for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Apparently, what the Padres and what the Giants were offering for Scherzer wasn't enough. And then Andrew Friedman shows up and says, well, uh, the the they were just going to trade Reese straight up for for Scherzer, and the Nationals said that wasn't enough. So Friedman countered with, "Well, let's go with our number one prospect, Josiah Gray, and some other prospects, and you throw in Trey Turner." And the Nationals signed off on it, and there you go. So the the National League West gets stronger because of that trade. 
in the Los Angeles Dodgers now, I think, if you ask most people, would be the prevailing favorite to win the World Series this year now because of the additions to their team and the fact that they're going to get Mookie Betts back. And I don't believe that Kenley Jansen is going to continue this brain-dead uh, you know, meltdown that he's had over the last several weeks. So look, they're, they're, they're going to be very good. I don't know if they're going to win the Western Division, but I don't think it's going to matter because they're going to end up uh, performing very well and getting into the playoffs, obviously, will the Dodgers. So we'll wait and see. Uh, the Padres also bolstered their their pitching staff yesterday as another good friend of mine, Daniel Hudson, goes from the Washington Nationals over to the San Diego Padres in a trade. So uh, good to see Huddy going over there. Uh, a pair of minor leaguers being sent from San Diego to Washington in exchange for Daniel Hudson. Daniel Hudson, of course, performed many years here in Arizona for the Diamondbacks, has the, the book written about him because he is the only uh, player in Major League history to return from two in back-to-back Tommy John surgeries. And I got to know Daniel quite well during his rehab stints. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends and uh, became friends with Daniel uh, via that. And he's a fierce competitor, as is evidenced by his uh, the run that the Washington Nationals had in the World Series two years ago, and he was one of the most integral parts of that World Series championship for the Nationals, of course, recording the final three outs of that series and being a huge member of the team in the uh, in the bullpen <clears throat> as their closer. Uh, can still really fire the ball in there, so the Padres get stronger. Uh, Danny's got he's having a good season this year. He's ERA's, I think, 2.6. Um, he's at four wins and 31 appearances this year, so... Uh, having a really good season this year so far for the Nationals and moving into San Diego. So the National League West just got a lot stronger. The Giants still in play for some of the remaining players that are out there, although there's not a whole lot uh, remaining available and will remain to be seen, of course, as the trade deadline is looming at the end here. In about another four and a half hours, it will be ending. So we'll keep you updated if anything comes across the wire uh, before 9 a.m. this morning. Also in Major League Baseball at the trade deadline, the Yankees went out and got themselves an all-star first baseman, Anthony Rizzo, from the Cubs. The Cubs are going to receive right-handed pitcher, minor league player Alexander Vizcaino, and minor league outfielder Kevin Alcantara for the uh, for the first baseman of uh, Rizzo, who, uh, you know, yeah, he's an all-star, and he can hit the ball a little bit. It's It's going to help him. Of course, as the you know being a left-hander and the short porch at Yankee Stadium, that will help him get a few more dingers, I believe, as a member of the Yankees. Um, the Yankees are out there trying to bolster their offense because that that lineup, as I mentioned the other day, is putrid and it has been all year. So they need to do whatever they can to try to score some more runs. They're going to try to make a run at this thing. They have some obstacles to overcome, but the Yankees are the Yankees, and they're never going to quit. They're always going to keep coming. They're always going to keep trying to spend money and work ways to get themselves more championships. So Yankees went out there and go get Rizzo from the Cubs. Um, also, the Red Sox went out and got themselves. The Nationals were just selling everything off uh, yesterday and today. The The Red Sox, in a counter move to the what the Yankees were doing, went out and got outfield masher Kyle Schwarber from the Nationals, also a all-star, an all-star this year. And uh, Schwarber, in my opinion, is the better player between the two. I know Anthony Rizzo is kind of an iconic player in Chicago Cubs lore, but uh, Kyle Schwarber 
is a guy who not only you know plays the outfield, he's I think he's four or five years younger than Anthony Rizzo. He's a more he's a better prospect to hit more home runs, uh, and then of course in Boston with Pesky Pole over there, looming two hundred and seventy three feet from home plate, should be pretty easy for him to loft some dingers into right field there. So, uh, so some news from some of the players in Major League Baseball's playoff runs, making moves. The Mets still standing. Pat haven't made a move yet, and uh, as I mentioned, we'll keep you apprised of any of the news that are coming out from the MLB hot stove action. Other MLB news hitting a little bit closer to home here for the Arizona Wildcats. Cleveland manager, former Wildcat, of course, Terry Tito Francona, announced yesterday that he was going to be stepping down for the remainder of the Major League Baseball season, citing some health issues. Now, uh, you know, Terry has has had some issues with um, with uh, he was wearing a boot. I saw him earlier this season. I saw him during spring training. Um, I, I, I do. I'm the PA announcer for for the Giants in spring training here in Scottsdale. And I saw Tito earlier this year when when we played Cleveland and he just didn't look good. Uh, you know, he's always in great spirits. Uh, Terry has always got a smile on his face. He is one of the nicest people you'll ever come across. He always treats people with dignity and respect and kindness and uh, just love being around the guy. But he didn't look good. He was in a boot, and aside from the boot causing him some discomfort, he he had a, a noticeably bad limp, which apparently is from a bad hip that he's got as well. Now, if you remember... I think it was, was it two years ago? He had to also step away from managing because of a gastrointestinal issue that had hospitalized him for quite some time. Uh, and the, the, the foot injury that he had was from a surgery that he had on his foot because of a staph infection. So a lot of things going on with, with Tito right now, and we wish him the best. We wish him well, and we certainly hope to see him back in the dugout in a manager's uniform once again as one of the best managers of the 21st century, one of the better managers that we've seen, of course, a uh, world champion and a guy who's always got his teams in contention and finding ways to get victories from teams that a lot of people considered to be you know, middling around 500 or so in the preseasons, uh, predictions and such, and he's always got his teams ready for playoffs and certainly one of the better managers, a great motivator of players and men and has assembled a great staff as well. And uh, his bench coach, DeMarlo Hale, will step in as manager for the rest of the Indian season. So we'll keep an eye on, uh, on Terry Francona's health as we, as we continue. Uh, Terry said, he said, I've got to get healthy or I can't do this job. And, and that's uh, <laughs> absolutely with all the amount of travel and, of course, the amount of time, commitment that it takes. Yeah, you have to be healthy if you want to be a manager of a major league ball club for 162 games a year. So we wish, again, we wish him the best. Of course, he is a wildcat for life. I see Terry for a lot of home games uh, for U of A basketball. He always has his season tickets right there up front on the floor. I always see Tito in his red sweater eating his popcorn, loves his popcorn, and uh, sitting there in his red sweater cheering on the Wildcats and taking in some basketball. And he's, he's a great supporter of Arizona athletics and just one of the, the better ambassadors of, uh, of U of A athletes and, and people in the community that we've had in a long, long time. So wish him well, wish him the best. And uh, we hope to see him back again in a Cleveland. Uh, it would be the, the Cleveland Guardians, I guess, next year. Uh, Cleveland Guardians uniform next season. 
The NBA draft was last night, but that was not what grabbed the headlines, as there were some trades that were going on. I'm sure much to the NBA's chagrin, as this is a time for the incoming young men from overseas, from college ranks, and also from the G League to ascend and be picked and had their moment with the with their hat and the commissioner Adam Silver on the stage and stuff. And then the Lakers go out and make a big, big splash, big spotlight deal for a hometown hero to come back home and play with LeBron and AD. And we'll talk about that coming up after the break because, yeah, stealing the spotlight of the NBA. But nonetheless, uh, a big deal in La La Land. With school just around the corner, we want to help you and the student in your life get the supplies that they need to succeed. ESPN Tucson is giving you the chance to win a $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. You can register online at ESPNTucson.com. You can register once per day through August 9th. What the Lakers did on the trade front yesterday leading up into the NBA draft, that's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. So it was a night for the NBA's future stars or potential stars to shine and be introduced to the league. However, it was the Los Angeles Lakers stealing the spotlight from the league on NBA draft night, been making a trade that brings former league MVP Russell Westbrook back to La La Land as the Lakers have acquired Long Beach native UCLA grad or UCLA, uh, I don't know if he graduated or not from there, but if he's got a you know an honorary graduation degree or whatever. But regardless, he played his uh, college basketball at UCLA. Uh, Russell Westbrook coming back home to play for the Lakers in a change in an exchange with the Washington Wizards. And in trade, the Lakers have sent the Wizards Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, that's a lot of alliteration there, and Montrez Harrell, and then the 22nd pick, which they drafted and then traded to Indiana. I don't know. NBA draft. There's always so many trades on the NBA draft, and they're like, we're going to pick this guy, and then we're going to trade him to him because of a trade that we made six years ago with this team, and then he's going to go, and they're going to trade him next to the other team. It it gets really confusing at times of where guys end up. Um, But nonetheless, those were the details of the trade. Now, first reaction was, of course, wow, oh, my God, what brought this about? Russell Westbrook going back home to Los Angeles to play with LeBron and AD on the Lakers. And then I got a smile on my face because I realized that most people, look, the theory and history have proven to us, right? Those of you who are NBA fans who watch closely, theory and history have proven that if you want to have ultimate success with LeBron James on your team, that you need to surround him with shooters, right? That's been... That's been the book on how to succeed with LeBron James for years. Surrounded with shooters, you can't lose. He's going to attack the rim. He's going to rebound. He can distribute. He still can catch and shoot. You know, he's got he's got all those tools. But what you really need are shooters to surround him with. And when he's won championships, it's because there have been great shooters on his teams. So the Lakers naturally go out and get one of the worst shooters in the history of the NBA, to join with LeBron James in Russell Westbrook. I mean, 
he, he, there's no denying this. Russell Westbrook is literally one of the worst shooters in NBA history. In fact, there are statistics to prove it because based on the volume of shots that he takes, okay, now we're talking about three-point shooting. Okay, this is where three-point, that's, that's shooting, and then Russell Westbrook usually doesn't shoot the ball much inside the arc. He's usually attacking at the rim. As far as three-point shooting goes, with in regards to NBA players with 2,000 or more, I believe, field goal attempts, only Charles Barkley has a worse shooting percentage than Russell Westbrook. That's it. Just Charles Barkley who shot like 27% uh, for his career from three. Russell Westbrook shooting just barely above 30, 30%, 30.2%, I believe. And and considering that, I think Barkley had taken just over 2,000 attempts during his lengthy career in the NBA. Westbrook already has taken nearly 3,500 three-point field goal attempts. Almost double the amount of career volume that Barkley took. So not only is he a poor shooter, he is a high-volume shooter as well. And this is why teams continue to trade him away. The I think the most interesting statistic about all of this, we, we people have talked about this all the time because of the amount of money that he makes and the type of game that he has, that Russell, Rest, Russell Westbrook has been labeled as a guy whose contracts are quote-unquote untradeable, right? He's, he's got the untradeable contract. Of course, in the NBA, that doesn't mean anything. Contracts are traded all the time. It's one of the most flexible leagues of the major four, and probably, probably it is the most flexible of the major four in regards to tradable and untradable contracts. Re- Westbrook now becomes the first person in NBA history, first ever in NBA history, to win a league MVP award and be traded in three consecutive seasons. Yeah. Three consecutive seasons he's been traded. Traded from OKC to Houston. Traded from Houston to the Wizards. Now traded from the Wizards to the Lakers. There's obvious reasons why. I think the most obvious reason is, is that for the first nine years of his career, he was unstoppable. He was the the juggernaut freight train, Russell Westbrook, stop me if you can, good luck with that. Shooting in the mid-40s, the, you know, the low to mid-40s as far as two-point field goal percentage goes, has never been above a 31% uh, three-point shooter, or 33%, three, I think 33.3 was the best he's ever had in, his, in a career year. But he was a guy that was just you know, relentless at the rim. We know this. We saw. We've seen. We've seen Brody play, right? Over the past four years, his shooting percentage has declined, and it has declined. I don't want to say rapidly, but noticeably, it has definitely declined. And I'm not just talking about from inside the arc, outside the arc, the free throw line too. Russ was a genuine. 82, 80, 82% to 84% free throw shooter for his entire career at OKC. I mean, he was, he was always 82% plus, right? We, we could always count on Russ being right there uh, as, as considered one of, the, uh, one of the more consistent free throw shooters in the league. This year, he shot 65%. Previous year, he shot 75%. Year before that, 65%. Year before that, 73%. He's been declining over the last four years. 
his rebounding numbers have gone up over the years. When you look at the amount of, uh, of rebounds that he that he grabs this year, it was you know he averaged a, a triple double, obviously, um, again, which is remarkable. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and he averaged eleven and a half rebounds per game and eleven and a half assists per game this year with Washington. But his shooting has just been putrid, just awful. And it's been declining. And you can see it in his in his steps. There's, there are some games where obviously he's on his, he, you know, he's having a night. He's got 48 and he's attacking the rim and people just can't stop him because he's on a roll. But there are also plenty of nights where you're like, man, he's two for 17 and he's just struggling out there. Like he can't, there's nothing he can do. And it's understandable that he would, have declined this much because of just how hard the man plays. You can't take that away from him. Uh, for, for years, and I mean, probably for his entire career. And I know there's some people out there like, oh, he's fake about it. He just, he, he, you know, he, he fake plays hard. Come on. <laughs> Watch the guy play. He's consistently attacking above the rim at people. Now, granted, he's not a great defender. Nobody will ever mistake in him. For a uh, for an even better than average defender, he's a he's a good defender, decent. He gets some steals. He's opportunistic. Most of the time, he looks fairly disengaged when playing on defense. But nonetheless, he's there. He shows up. Okay, he'll get in the way every now and then. But it's all about how pressure his offense is. But it's declined over the years. So why the trade now? Why why do the Lakers bring in? Russell Westbrook, obviously they're looking for their big three, and they had the opportunity to bring in a guy who's averaged a triple-double in a season three times in his career, which is unbelievable. So they're going to pair him up with Anthony Davis, LeBron James. So why? Well, when you look at analytics of the Lakers over the last two years, okay, when LeBron is on the floor, the Lakers are the 11th-ranked team in the league. This is over the past two seasons. When LeBron is on the floor, they're the 11th-ranked offense in the league. Okay? Not bad. Again, LeBron, not the offensive juggernaut that he once was, and Anthony Davis has been hurt a lot. And let's, let's face it, the rest of the guys on the team were brought in to play defense. Okay, Not a whole lot of offensive superstars in that team. Kyle Kuzma was a guy, but he was so erratic in and inconsistent that he couldn't be counted upon night to night to bring them the, the, you know, the 18 points off the bench that they needed. So when LeBron is on the floor, the 11th ranked offense in the league, when he's off the floor, 28th offense in the league, they need someone else to bring offense there. Is Russell Westbrook the right guy for that? Are they, are they going to play Russ without LeBron more often. I mean, there, there's going to be some interesting, you know, coaching decisions to be made there because if, if if you struggle so badly when LeBron is off the floor, the obvious case is there you need to bring in offense for when LeBron is not on the floor. But you bring in Russell Westbrook, who's not going to take a back seat to anybody. He's certainly not going to be a guy coming off the bench. So is, is Russ just going to play 44 minutes a game? You're going to grind him completely into the ground? Or do you have to finagle those minutes? Do you have to sit Russ early and then bring him back when LeBron sits? I mean, it, it's going to be a rotational nightmare. 
But nonetheless, you can't deny the star power, and it's going to be fun to watch. And for those of you who are not Laker fans like myself, as a Suns fan, as what I would consider an anti-Laker fan, it's going to be fun to watch that team struggle because I really do believe they're going to struggle. This is not the right move for the Lakers. This is not the thing that you need to pair with LeBron and Anthony Davis. This is not the player that you needed to bring in to make that team successful, to make them uh, the dynamic threat that they should be. And they they lose Kyle Kuzma. They lose KCP. They lose Montrez Harrell. Now, Montrez Harrell was a a terrible defensive player. They're going to have to upgrade at that position. He was completely exposed, never even got off the bench much. Uh, when it when it mattered in late game situations, because he just he was a he was a detriment to them out there defensively. I don't think this makes the Lakers all that better. I really don't. Now they're going to have to go out and sign some guys to come in and shoot, but based on the luxury tax and based on the salary cap, those are all going to be minimum contract guys because <laughs> AD, LeBron, and Westbrook make up, and I'm not kidding, folks. of the salary cap hit on the Los Angeles Lakers this season. Three players make up 94% of your salary cap hit. So good luck rounding out your roster with nine other players that are going to cost you a net $19 million. That's about all they can spend without just – that's all the NBA will allow them to spend, right? It's bare minimum for the rest of that roster, and that's not good news for the Lakers. It's good news for everybody else. I, I Look, they are going to have nights where they just blow people out of the water. Like, there are going to be nights where the Lakers win games 131 to 106. Okay? It's, it, there are going to be nights that happen where you just cannot stop them. They just – LeBron goes off for 31. Russell has a 40-point triple-double. AD has a 17 and 22 rebound night. It's just going to be nights like those. But I think there are going to be plenty of nights where Russ struggles to hit the iron, where LeBron and Russ are trying to fight over the basketball. AD, as soon as he actually catches a ball, is just going to shoot it. And it's not going to be good rhythm, not going to be good chemistry for the uh, for the Lakers. But it'll be fun to watch. Fun to watch him implode. At least that's my concerns. Okay, another trade in the NBA yesterday that got swept under the rug because shortly after the trade was made, the Lakers made their blockbuster deal that we just talked about, but the Phoenix Suns made a trade, and it was a smart trade for the Suns. I think it makes them better in the long run, and we'll talk about that next. You're listening here to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Man, I tell you, nothing like a mouthful of coffee grounds when you're trying to enjoy your coffee. Take a sip. All of a sudden, you're like, the grittiness, the sand. Oh, my God. My mouth. Nothing like having a mouthful of coffee grounds that just didn't get quite uh, melted into the mix there properly. So uh, I'll be picking that out of my teeth for the rest of the show. Back to some NBA trade action. 
we, we, I mean, we might get into the draft today. We might actually get into the draft a little bit. I, I mean, there's so much going on. I still got plenty of football to talk today. It's a football Friday. But newsworthy, of course, is the trade that the Phoenix Suns made yesterday. Phoenix Suns and the Brooklyn Nets hooked up on a deal to exchange players. The Brooklyn Nets send Landry Shamit to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for Javon Carter. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting trade for both teams. First of all, let me say this. It makes sense for both teams. This, this trade absolutely is a smart deal, and I'm talking about mostly for financial reasons, for both teams. I will also say that, and I, I saw that, I think it was Cameron Payne yesterday that tweeted it out once the, once the trade was made, um, basically that he is upset that Javon Carter was traded from the Suns. And I can understand why. When you are here locally with the team and you are in touch with people in that locker room and in that organization, they tell you, they tell you th- things about certain players and you get to learn about them and maybe you get to watch them on the floor and watch the things occur there. Javon Carter was not a guy we saw a whole lot on the floor, but I can tell you this, Javon Carter was one of the hardest working dudes in that locker room, showed up to the gym every day with his, and I'm going to use an analogy that people hate, with his hard hat and his lunch pail, <laughs> showed up ready to work and uh, put in the hours and put in the grind. And, you know, a guy from from West Virginia who has been, basically banking on his work ethic and his toughness for his entire career. 25 years old, he's actually older than Landry Shamit with more with fewer years of experience in the NBA than Shamit does. So Carter's work ethic will be missed in that son's gym in the locker room, uh, and he's definitely a locker room guy. A lot of people liked him personally in that locker room. He made a lot of friends, and they are going to be sad to see him go. That's going to be a, a, a teary-eyed exit for a lot of those players. Uh, saying goodbye to Javon. In return, the Suns are getting a a shooting guard in Landry Shamit, whose shooting prowess will be a a nice addition for the Suns. Um, They're getting a a guy who is a a solid three-point shooter. I mean, and when I say solid, he's he's been shooting at or near 40% from three for his entire NBA career. And a good guy off the bench in Brooklyn has been averaging anywhere near 9, 10 points a game for his career here in the NBA. So good to have him back and or good to have him here in Phoenix. And he's been a, a bit of a world traveler for the, uh, for the NBA in his, uh, his short stint in the league. He's been with several teams and he's been around the league a little bit. But um, I think he's going to find a home here, at least if he can perform well, that will allow him to, uh, to stay here for at least another contract with the Phoenix Suns because he is owed $3.8 million this season. Um, and then a, a, a you know a decent season will allow him to make somewhere between six and eight million dollars a year for his next contract deal. Uh, once he hits uh, free agency, he will be a restricted free agent at the end of next season. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But nonetheless, bringing in Landry Shamit, a guy who's uh, as I mentioned a really a really good shooter, and the most important thing about this, and, and this this is kind of what we need to look at when determining reading the tea leaves for this for this trade this was not a trade for a player okay this was not a situation where the sun said we need to go out and get Landry Shamit to better our team which is part of the issue but what this is 
is a signal that the Suns are very confident they're going to be able to re-sign Chris Paul. And the fact that they have now freed up a lot of money because of contract negotiations and, and expiring contracts and such with the likes of like a Landry Shamit, okay? They are going to be able to now extend DeAndre Ayton and Mikel Bridges, which I think they will end up doing very soon. And it's going to allow them to go out there and get another, uh, you know, a, possibly another backup point guard and a backup center. And they're all going to be able to do it and still come in probably somewhere between a half a million and a million dollars under the salary cap, under the luxury tax, uh, you know, the luxury tax beacon there, if you will, which is great because look, the Suns don't want to be in the luxury tax. They're not the team with all the riches that can just pay these luxury taxes. I know the fans want them to just spend, pay the luxury tax. You can afford it for once. You know, you're, you're a rich guy and, you know, talking about Robert Sarver and all this. Look, the Suns are not a team that is that are, are, are built to – pardon me – that are built to to pay luxury tax in the NBA. They, yeah, they had one great season, of course, this year. But let's not forget, folks, 10 years mired in, in less than mediocrity and empty seats in the, in the building and television deals that were not, you know, paying out because they were never featured on network TV or big games and marquee games. So this is a team that has been struggling to compete financially for the better part of a decade. They had a breakout season this year. Some young players that were, you know, cost-effective were able to come in, and, of course, they were able to spend some money on Chris Paul, which helps. But now they're in a situation where they can spend up to the luxury tax threshold and still be able to put a great team on the uh, on the court. It, it also makes it more likely, pardon me, I'm, Maybe those coffee grounds are wreaking havoc with my throat right now. <clears throat> the the Suns are most likely going to be able to also now re-sign the likes of a Cameron Payne, or if they wanted to, they could. And, and the, the interest for T.J. McConnell is out there. Uh, do not mistake that. There There is definite interest for T.J. McConnell. I just don't know if the money is going to work out. T.J. Is a, is a fantastic player and has earned – the right to earn to make you know anywhere between ten and twelve million a year, and I just don't know if the Suns are in a position to pay that kind of money. And unfortunately, as much as I would love to have TJ here in Phoenix, um, it may just not work out financially. And th- look, that's okay. You know, again, it, it would be great to have him; it would be a luxury to have him, but it, it may not work out. So, it was sensible piece of business for both teams. Um, it makes a lot of sense regardless of the players. Uh, and I do think Javon Carter will be a nice fit in, in Brooklyn because it gives them an inexpensive defensive guy um, to go out there and spell the superstars that they have in Brooklyn. Um, also, I saw that Mike D'Antoni stepped down. He left the uh, the staff there in Brooklyn. He left Steve Nash's staff. Now, Mike is 70, and it was news that was kind of not swept under the rug, but it wasn't big news, especially with all the other things that have been going on this week. But I saw that uh, that Mike D had um, essentially stepped away from coaching. I guess he's going to still be available to the Nets in a, I don't know, I, I guess a, a role, you know, a, 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 consult, a consultation type of, of role. But he is not going to be coaching on the bench, uh, not going to be traveling with the team and such 
this upcoming season. So we wish Mike D all the best. Um, built a good relationship with him while he was here in Phoenix and uh, hope that he's okay, obviously, uh, at 70 years old. Getting up there a little bit and uh, maybe just wants to take a year off from all the travel and whatnot and the the uh, COVID restrictions that are out there and all the restraints and the stresses that that puts on us. So, okay, so, yeah, Phoenix Suns bring in Landry Shamit. Happy about that. Uh, gives them a good shooter off the bench. And most importantly, it gives them cap space to re-sign Chris Paul. And I mentioned, look, now the, the, the Chris Paul re-signing, let's just be real, real quick here. Just talk about that real quick as far as Chris Paul. Instead of having Chris Paul now opt out and sign a new contract, the Suns probably will just opt in um, to the to the player option that he has and extend him. Okay, so they'll they'll pay him the 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 forty four million uh, this year, which is the, and the cap hit on that isn't forty four million. Okay, don't it's it's all right. It's not going to cost them a true forty four million in in cap dollars um, because of because of NBA math, okay, then they can just extend him. Instead of having him opt out, open the, you know, get him into the free market, let teams throw money at him and have him go jet-setting all, all over the country, it allows the Suns just to say, look, we're going to pay you the $44 million and we're going to extend you, and it's not going to cost us anything more than if, we, if you had opted out and we re-signed you after that. So this is better security for the Suns to re-sign Chris Paul, which is great, right? We... we we want to see – we're fun, Suns fans. We want to see Chris Paul back in his Suns uniform this year. We're not so upset with him in the performances that we saw leading up to the end of the NBA Finals that we don't want him to be a Phoenix Sun anymore, right? We're okay with, with CP3, one of the greatest point guards of all time, finishing his career in Phoenix. Okay, good. Just making sure. Just checking. Because there are some people out there like, oh, get, Chris, get somebody else. Get Chris Paul out of here. Okay. Good luck with that. Glad you're not the GM. Glad James Jones is pulling the uh, pulling the strings for the Phoenix Suns there. All right, so we got plenty of stuff still to continue to talk about. Uh, I want to hit some football before we before we break for hour number two. So when I return, um, we'll talk some college football coming up. Jed Fish, of course, has been in the news because of the things that he was uh, discussing at Pac-12 Media Days. We'll discuss Jed Fish and his one of his new favorite words, joy, coming up. After the break, you're here listening to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here. Quick segment before we have our short break at the end of the hour and then return for hour number two. So just stay right here because, uh, Unlike other shows that break and have like seven minutes of commercials at the top of the hour, we literally have like two minutes of commercials and we're right back. So just stay here. we got a quick segment, and then we'll be right back in uh, in hour number two. We've got plenty of NFL to talk about, but I f- first want to talk about Jed Fish. And it, it, at Pac-12 Media Days, he had sit-downs and, and uh, interviews with people, not just the press conference, but had private interviews as one-on-ones and such. And he talked about the word joy, bringing joy to the game of football because of a lot of people that he talked to and, and people that he respects, not just in the world of football and sports, but in life itself, that joy brings about so many other things, happiness and excitement, um, you, know, you know, a willingness to show up with, uh, with a smile on your face and a wanting to do better. 
And I thought it was interesting when the, the, the I guess the concept of having fun and playing football has been lost on a lot of people. But Jed Fish is going to bring that back. And we use the term, this coach needs to come in and fix the culture here. This coach needs to, to rebuild the culture. Let's make no mistakes about this, folks. Jed Fish is not fixing the culture. He's not rebuilding the culture. He is installing an entirely new and entirely fresh culture. There is nothing to fix. There is nothing that is, rebu- that is being rebuilt. He has taken the culture of Arizona football as we know it, wiped the slate clean, and is creating his own culture. And he's building it around what got us to this point. Alumni, letter winners from, the, from, the, from former football programs and former seasons, and of course, in the, in the light of what Dick Tomey has done for this program, and he is embracing that and bringing it back to Tucson. They are having this fan fest coming up, of course, with their practices and such, allowing the fans to come out. And Michael Lev of the AZ Daily Star did a, a nice article on it and mentioned that he, he talked with Matthew Hayes, who's the uh, athletic director, associate athletic director of football operations. And the, the Wildcats talked to the Arizona Cardinals, said they were great talking us through what they do and how to make sure we can bring an NFL type of experience to the city of Tucson. This community of Tucson, the alums, everyone, they should want to have the same experience as the pro teams do, and that's what we want to provide for them. So it's going to be fun. It may not equate to a whole lot of wins, but it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun, and it's going to get us talking, and that's what we like in this first season of a complete turnaround, a complete reboot of the program. Hour number two coming up in just a few minutes. Plenty of NFL talk. We'll talk some more NBA, some MLB, and some college football. Stick tuned for hour number two of the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson.